really witness to the hymn that our brother Dion read out. And you know, as, as, uh, as he was reading that hymn, um, just something of the enormity of salvation comes across us, doesn't it? Uh, I was thinking of a hymn by Charles Wesley as well, when, uh, that actually is probably my favorite hymn as well, um, which is, O Thou Who Camest From Above. It's not so well known as uh, And Can It Be, another one that I love, but Charles Wesley wrote these words, O Thou Who Camest From Above, the pure celestial fire to impart, kindle a flame of sacred love on the mean altar of my heart. There let it for thy glory burn with inextinguishable blaze and trembling to its source return in humble prayer and fervent praise. That's really what we need, isn't it? The Lord to do this work within our hearts. All of our hearts here. And it's all because of what Charles Wesley wrote concerning And Can It Be? the salvation of God, that these things are possible. In this hymn, Jesus confirmed my heart's desire to work and speak and think for thee. Still let me guard the holy fire and still stir up thy gift in me. Ready for all thy perfect will, my acts of faith and love repeat till death thy endless mercies seal and make the sacrifice complete. That's what we need, the sacrifice to be made complete through the work of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's have a further word of prayer as we come to the word this morning. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you that our chains have fallen off. Our hearts are free. We thank you so much, oh God. What can we say? Words seem so pitifully small for such a great work of salvation. Lord, we thank you for those beams of light that burned into our dungeon of sin and released us and commanded our release from our slavery to iniquity. Oh God, we praise you. We worship you this morning. And we ask, oh Lord, our glorious God, that you would keep these truths in our hearts. There is therefore now no condemnation that we dread. Jesus and all in him is ours. Well, we praise you for these glorious truths, Lord. And we ask, oh God, how can we approach your word without your spirit? We are bereft. We are, Lord, those that have nothing out from ourselves to contribute to the understanding of your word. We simply and entirely need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, aid us in this time, we pray. Grant anointing for the speaking of your word, for the hearing of your word, and that it will be mixed with faith as we hear, that we might respond spiritually. We ask for your help in all these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, please. Ephesians chapter 1, and we are looking at verse 17 and 18. We've nearly finished our 
mini-series together through these two verses, but let me read again from verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places." far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Praise the Lord for his word. Well, we've been looking at this particular phrase, that the Lord would grant to his people the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of of Christ. And we saw that Paul was praying to the Father that he would graciously grant this to his people. And we saw the necessity of revelation if we're to know and to come into an experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus for ourselves. We looked at the fact that actually academic knowledge, you know, merely the assimilating of information about Jesus is not enough for us to come into a proper relationship with the Lord. What you need, my friend, is an experiential knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ for his beauty and glory and reality to dawn upon you, not by your own efforts, not by anything of a running of our own flesh, but by means of the 
the power and enabling of the Spirit of God. We need revelation in the house of God again, not merely academic sermons. We need the people to receive bread from the pulpit as the pastor gets before God for revelation for himself. And if he's just living his life in countless commentaries and not getting before God firstly for himself, his message is more than likely to be dry because it's secondhand. And unless God is able to work the sermon into the servant of God, he's not going to know experientially what he's preaching. And therefore there'll be an absence of authority in his words. We do, dear friends, need to know the truth of God worked into our lives. Otherwise, our words are more than likely to fall to the ground. What's one person's word against another, one will say. But if people see that your life is changed by what God has said, and you're speaking out from experience, and not simply because somebody else has told you so, you have living faith, in other words, you have responded to what God says. You've proved his word. Well, there's, there's an authority in that. There's an authenticity in that. And God is looking to increase our experiential knowledge of him, not simply a head knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, the word of God says, but love edifies. And really, if we can get to the place where the word of God is burned into us and there's a brokenness about us, and out of that brokenness, we are living in dependency on God. What a difference our Christian lives would make to a world perishing without the knowledge of God and under the deluding influence of deceiving spirits in this world. We desperately need light in the house of God again. And may God forgive us when we've simply got in the pulpit to outline teachings which other men have given and we've never known as truth for ourselves. We are not an academic forum. This is not a lecture. This is about preaching. Sunday should be about preaching the word, not just giving a lecture about it. There are times for the gaining of information on certain things, but for the concerning the word of God, it should be preached and taught in the power of the spirit. And that comes, dear friends, by you and I getting aside and getting into the word of God and saying, Lord, unless your spirit shines upon this page, it's dead to me. And I tell you, dear friends, the word of God is not living to you because you're not asking him for it. That's the only reason God's no respecter of persons. But if you would open the word and say, now, Lord, I find this book close to me, but you're the one who opens it. Let your spirit shine upon the page, please, that I may experience what others seem to experience. And then you find for yourself that what other people have found for themselves is the wonderful anointing of the Spirit of God. You see, this anointing is for every believer. It's not an exclusive club. It's not for those that just uh, go 15 steps up on a Sunday morning into the, into the lectern. This is for every believer to have an anointing with God. And I promise you this, the moment you get before God for yourself and begin meditating on the scriptures for yourself, you will find this, that you begin to have bread in your basket. You begin to find the word of God is opening to you. And that word will inevitably, if it gets into your heart, come through your mouth in conversation with others. And it won't be long. Mark my words and try me on it. It will not be long before other people will come round you and begin asking you to tell you about the Christian faith. Or other Christians will gather round you because you've got bread. 
This is what is the product of Bible meditation. We study the word, perhaps. We read the word, perhaps. But are we meditating in the word for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to affect the mind? It's not that we don't think when we open the word and it's as though we open the word and we just stand there and wait for God to somehow give light independently of us. No, we engage with the word in our minds and have faith in God as we engage in the word for him to open the word to us. It won't be long. There might be just two or three people. But listen to this. You don't know the ripple effect of that upon upon other people. The, the ripple effect of you just having one or two others that you speak into and they speak into others as they learn about meditating and receiving from the Lord. It goes out, you see. But the problem is that we don't know the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Our lack of revelation leaves us in a place where we're blind to our poverty and that's a terrible thing. Thank God that the Lord Jesus came to the church at Laodicea and was able to expose to them their condition. But you see, the Lord wants to expose to each one of us our condition, not because he hates us, but because he wants us to learn to taste what's good and get a taste for what's, what, what is eternal, what's right. This is what we need. So friends, I'm encouraging you. Get before God, or may God give me grace one day to write a booklet or something on Bible meditation. Or somebody else. (laughs) We need this for our day, dear friends. Because these are going to be days. Hear me. I believe I speak by the Spirit of God. There are coming days in the future where you will have to share your bread with twos and threes. Where there will not be access to great buildings that were once raised up for the glory of God and where we can easily meet in our hundreds and thousands. The days are coming where you're going to need to share your bread with twos and threes. But have you built up the basket now? Do you know when this lockdown happened, it grieved my heart. When this lockdown happened, people were running to Sainsbury's, running to Tesco's, or whatever is your favourite local I was going to say favourite local assembly. I didn't mean that. Favourite local superstore. They were running to that and getting all the food and drink off the shelf they could, thinking that it would all run out. This was happening. And then you got the elderly people going into the store, not being able to get anything, just because of the sheer greed of our own hearts, really. And we're all out for number one, aren't we? Well, that's the nature of what we're like. But let's not point the finger at others. But we can all be like this. But we go to the supermarket, get as much as we can from the shelves. And then people were rushing home with three years' supply of, I don't say. <laughs> all these things in the cupboard. Well, you know, dear friends, Jesus does speak to us. There's going to come a day where no man can work. It's going to come a day where it's going to be difficult to get the bread. People are going to go to and fro. Remember Amos 8, verse 11? To and fro, looking for the word of the Lord. And there's going to be a famine of hearing 
the words of the Lord. There's a famine coming. The food chain was okay for the supermarkets. But I remember in the book of Matthew, the Lord Jesus talks about a time when he's going to come again and there's going to be wise virgins and there's going to be foolish ones. And the wise ones will have oil in their lamp. And the foolish ones will suddenly realize, I haven't got the oil. And they'll say to those who have the oil, give me some of your oil. And the people who have the oil in their wisdom would say, no. You've got to go to the buyers and buy it. And as they go to the buyers, it's too late. And anyway, none of us knows we've got another night here. I was at a conference once where one of the leaders of the conference went to be with the Lord overnight in the middle of the conference. You don't know how long you've got. Get the bread while you can, eh? We live in a day where everything's quick fix, isn't it? Just want everything now. Just got to have everything. The quickness in which our young people and children have to, to gain their attention, the screen has to change every so many seconds now. Doom, 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 doom. Just to hold their attention. And it comes to me and I sort of think, how are they going to be able, if that's what they're used to, when they're a little older, sitting before the word of God and concentrating for 20 minutes on the word. You see, what are we raising up here? But the good thing is, if you're a parent this morning, you have the opportunity, by God's grace, to instill into the hearts of your children, not to live on the computer. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't use it. But you see, we need to learn to be able to concentrate our minds on the word of God. And as we do that, dear friends, the Spirit will begin to open the Word to us. Our brother talked about a, uh, mentioned this morning a passage from Isaiah 55. What was it? Buy. Buy and eat. You need to buy it, friends. This book, when we, you know, it's almost though I wonder when we open the book, we almost feel we're doing the Lord a tremendous favor that we're giving Him a few minutes of our day. And uh, Lord, look at me, I'm really saintly. I just rub my halo, you know. As though, dear friends, I want to tell you the Lord doesn't give away his secrets cheaply. Nor will you find with the Lord that the treasures will be yours within five minutes. I remember when I was younger and I spoke to a godly old lady and she said to me when I was yet a teenager, um, she said, yes, dear. She said, it will take you probably about five years of solid Bible meditation before you really get to discern the living bread and receive regularly. And she was right. I can look back to my early notes of meditating and asking God for the bread of the word. Let's put it like that. It takes time, but I don't know how much time we've got left. I think it's time for you and I to begin to ask God to open the word of God to us. 
Why do Christian husbands and wives often have so much argy-bargy between them? Arguing so much because they've got their own opinions. But imagine this. If you and your wife decided one day, why don't instead of us arguing with each other of who should be doing the tea in the morning and who should be, and why you fold your pajamas in a certain way, instead of all that hassle or whether you squeeze the toothpaste from the middle of the tube or from the end of the tube and having a row for 20 minutes in front of your children about it, why don't you open the word of God together, meditate on it for 20 minutes and you'll find that your arguments cease without them being resolved. Because the arguments have nothing in them. It's just opinion of self. But God deals with self when you get in the word. And then your wife will say to you, I'm so sorry that I've been acting. And the husband will say, no, it's my fault. And then you have a glorious argument about the fact that it was you that was wrong. Well, it's better that way, isn't it? You know, it's amazing what happens when the word of God gets in you. You'll be surprised. Many of us think we have the word of God dwelling in us. But it's doubtful that we all have the word of God dwelling in us. When the word of God dwells in you, it's sweet as honey in your mouth. When it gets down to your stomach, you have a pain. I'm speaking as from the scriptures. Why is that? Because of things round about you suddenly become grievous to you in a way they weren't before. Why? Because the words got in. You can't be indifferent about evil that you see about you anymore. Why? Because the words got in. Oh, dear friends, my fear for the evangelical church is that there's a deception in thinking we've received the word of God in our hearts simply because we've accepted it because we have assented to a doctrinal statement on the front door or the porch of the church and we're good church members. That doesn't make the word of God dwell in us. What makes the word of God dwell in us is feeding on it, isn't it? And when you feed on the word, when it gets in, things will grieve your heart. You'll start finding yourself tearful about things that are sinful that I even have nothing to do with you why why could Paul say of the his brethren in the book of Acts why could he say this now hear me I could wish that I myself could be accursed he calls on God to be witness to him if it could mean I could get my Jewish brethren into glory. These people have been persecuting him. And he's essentially saying, and he calls on the Lord to be witness that what he's saying is true, he's essentially saying, I wish I could go to hell if it means I could get the people that are constantly against me into heaven. You can't be like that, naturally. Paul was somebody who terrorized the early Christian church. Saul of Tarsus. He had a name for it. God dealt with his heart. 
And he got to the point where he was an intercessor for those who hated him. Paul could not go vicariously to the death on behalf of the Jewish people. But this was Jesus. Paul, this was the word had got in, you see. Only Jesus could go to the cross. And he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. But Paul had the heart of Jesus in him. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Now, let's get to the sermon. <laughs> verse 18, and I'll skate through. Ephesians 1. Now notice what he says here. He's praying, Paul's praying that they may have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Now what is it unto? We looked at it before. That they may know, the eyes of their understanding being enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of their calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And finally, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? The exceeding greatness of his power. Paul is praying. Let's imagine you're the church at Ephesus, friends, so I can make it personal to you. Paul is praying that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward you who believe. If you and I had a revelation by the Spirit of God, of the power of God, that is toward us as his people we would be much less reckoning with our inability and yet in the light of our inability reckoning much more on the power of God to accomplish in us all that he desires you and I need to see something here and so Paul elaborates on this last statement a little more extensively than the previous ones. And he says that this particular power that is mentioned in verse 18, it goes on to say this. That this power is that which he, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, in, at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age which is to come. 
In other words, the power of God toward you as a servant of God is the very same power that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. What a power. Isn't the resurrection of the dead a wonderful, dazzling display of the power of God? over death and sin and everything else. God raised his son from the dead, vindicating the work of the cross and putting an end to death, essentially. He is risen. We serve a risen saviour, but he rose again because God's power raised him from the dead. Nobody else can raise you from the dead. Allah can't raise you from the dead. Hinduism can't raise you from the dead. Atheism keeps you in the grave. But Jesus raises from the dead. Our God is alive. He's a God of the living. And he's a powerful God. This word that's used here for the power of God towards us is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis. That we derive from into our English the word dynamite well friends is there a little bit of dynamite about your Christian faith or is, is the unbeliever quite easily able to tag along with you you see if you've got dynamite on you you're dangerous you're dangerous I remember somebody saying about Leonard Ravenhill he was dangerous <laughs> There should be something of this dynamite about you. It means when the Spirit of God comes on you, something happens. The Lord exposes a person's sin right before your eyes and theirs. There should be something of dynamite about our Christian life. If we have been baptized in the Spirit, that's what the dynamite is. It's this, it's this Greek word dunamis. You shall receive power. You shall receive dunamis when the Spirit comes upon you. And my, mark my word, friends, you're going to need the baptism in the Holy Spirit in the days ahead. It's not going to be an optional extra, not that it ever was, but it's so few realize the necessity of this experience. We need the endowment of power from on high to be able to get through in the last days. The power toward us. Oh, friends, God is so good that his power is towards us, the very power that raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. Colossians 1 and verse 9 says these words. Again, Paul is praying. You always find Paul praying, friends. If you want to have something with God, you've got to be a man or a woman of prayer. Oh, would to God that out from this camp the Lord would raise up men and women of prayer, intercession. Not simply praying under their own steam, but come under the anointing of the Spirit of God behind closed doors. Verse 9, For this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Now notice he's praying to God that the people at Colossae would walk worthy of the Lord. The Lord is the one who enables us to walk worthy of him. That's why Paul's praying to him, to the Lord, I beg your pardon. And it says this, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Well, we need to pray to the Lord to help us. Verse 11, strengthened with all, what? Might. Might. 
according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Again, all might, power, is this word dunamis again. And in this particular verse, that Paul is praying that the saints would be strengthened with the power of God, with this dunamis that we've been speaking of, unto something. It's not so that they can make bravado spiritually and sort of think, hey, look at me, I've got the power of God on me. And so many people do this, don't they? There's those who like to display their ability, as it were, and say that they've got incredible powers to be able to do this and that and the other in the name of the Lord. Well, we just need to be a little bit careful because in Matthew, the Lord says, um, they will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. We did that in your name. We did miracles in your name, displaying uh, some powers, as it were, in your name. And then the Lord will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So we need to be careful on this. But what we do need is the power of God to be able to live the life. And in this particular passage, the strength mentioned here, the anointing, the dunamis, as it were, rather, is unto something. What is it for? For all patience and long-suffering with joy. You know, there's some people that put up with things, and they put up with things relatively well, but try to get them putting up with things with joy. I mean, you can't do that naturally, can you? Some of us, the least little thing goes wrong and all the world around us needs to know about it. You know, we've got the least headache and we'll tell everybody on the planet who will come within earshot to hear our performance of our own sufferings before them and we'll display them adequately while we look at them take pity on us. But then that doesn't satisfy us either and so we just go on in our misery. So often we're like this. That people are talking about a snowflake generation, aren't they? I don't go there. But anyway, the fact is that we do find that we are a people that don't take easily to discomfort in the West. But discomfort is coming. And we've got to learn to walk with the Lord now and not allow our comforts to become our musts but that they be subservient to our walk with the Lord. Now, with this particular verse, it's talking in the sense of patience and long-suffering with joy. We need patience. Now, why is he saying you need power for patience? Because the word here, patience, speaks of an abiding under, a remaining under. What's that about then? Well, it really often has to do with persecution and difficulty. You see, you find in Romans chapter 5 that Paul says these words. He says in verse 3, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character that going on you know that patience that endurance that we need how does that how is that perseverance or endurance or patience produced by means of tribulation very often James talks about it in James chapter 1 and the first few verses up to verse 3 he says count it all joy my brethren when you go through various trials doesn't he and he says within that passage let me just find it quickly says within it, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. There you go, you see. 
And it's all this trial that we're going through. How are you going to get through trial? How are you going to learn patience? How are you going to be able to do it with joy? Only by means of the Spirit. Only by means of the power of God. But you see, the wonderful thing is, the Lord never allows you to go through anything that he doesn't give you the power to endure. The power's there, friends, for whatever you're facing in Jesus, the power is there to be able to not only get through it by the skin of your teeth, but to be an overcomer, to come out on top. I remember somebody coming up to a famous minister and they said to him, how are you, brother? And he said, I'm doing very well over the circumstances. Good play on words, isn't it? We are to be over the circumstances. It doesn't mean we don't go through them, but by the grace of God, we overcome in them. Not by our own power or might, but by the power of the dunamis, dunamis power of the Spirit of God. Oh, friends, we have a God whose power is greater than our sufferings. Isn't he able to carry us through? Isn't he able to hold us up? Isn't he able to make the feeblest saint the strongest in his strength to prove that it's him who's done it? And we always think that somehow naturally we've got to be strong. To be a strong Christian means to be somebody who's strong and definite in and of themselves. I have known people that are naturally, listen to this, that are naturally very assured of themselves in the church very assured of themselves they know what they think and they say what they think all the time and then you just have to listen and everybody thinks oh he's so spiritual no not necessarily could just be natural strength and natural bravado but give me a weak saint give me somebody who's naturally of, of a fascinating heart who's learned to become single hearted by the power of the spirit and I'll show you someone who will stand all those with natural bravado and strength will run a mile when they see things happening in the end days. It won't stand. You and I who are weak of ourselves will find ourselves standing if we just will lay hold of the power of God. You don't have to be strong in yourself. You don't have to be a natural giant in yourself. The weakest saint shall overcome though death and hell obstruct the way. That's what Isaac Watts said. So are you a feeble saint? Oh, dear friends, those who are naturally strong have to learn a lot of breaking before they can become strong in the Lord. Well, if the Lord's broken into you while you're young, let it be so. Back to Ephesians, please. I'm racing through as quick as I can. Ephesians, verse 7. 3, verse 7. Chapter 3, you should know that. <clears throat> I'm joking. Okay. Ephesians chapter 3. And we looked at the fact, sorry, we're going back to verse 15. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God what a tremendous statement this is if this doesn't thrill your heart I really don't know what will 
But how are you going to know these things? This rooting, this grounding, this coming into fullness. How is it going to be yours and mine in experience? By means of the power of God. It's not by means of natural strength and effort. But this power, praise God, is towards us in Christ Jesus. And we can thank God that we have such a God. Now you know, dear friends, I said earlier that the Lord Jesus, this power that was, um, uh, that is towards us, is actually the power that raised Jesus from the dead, didn't I? This very power raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. Now, let me just say this. If you go on into Ephesians chapter 2, Paul then brings the application of this power that is towards us, which was in Christ Jesus, in raising him from the dead, to you. And he says in chapter 2 and verse 1 these words, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talked about Jesus be, having died and that Christ raised him from the, sorry, God raised him from the dead. Now in chapter 2 he says, You were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. My dear friends, there can't be anything worse than to be dead. That's the condition of your life. Before you were born again of the Spirit, you had no strength to come to Christ. Why? Because you were dead toward God. And then it says, you he made alive. And it goes on to talk about the fact, as it did in chapter 1, that God raised Christ up and that God has raised us up, raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is what God has done for us and it's all the power of God. There's nothing you did to help the Lord enable you to get out of your deadness spiritually some of you may be bound you may not be born again of the spirit there may be one or two people here you're not born again of the spirit my dear friends you're dead you're dead toward God dead in trespasses and sins and unless God has mercy on your soul it will stay that way you say, what can I do about it then? Because I don't want to be dead. Call on God to deliver you out of your death. And to give you repentance. And to open your eyes, knowing that you can't do it yourself. You say, I don't even know how to pray. Then firstly, ask God to know how to pray. Because he's the only one who can save you. And you say, well, there's some stirring in my heart to do this. How did that get there? Well, God put it there. Work on that. God put that desire in your heart to begin to pray in the first place. He's having mercy on you. Now be careful. If the grace of God is towards you, don't spurn that. Don't harden your hearts as the people of Israel did in the rebellion. Soften your hearts to the moving and stirrings of the Spirit of God within you. God's speaking to you right now. Get your heart right with God. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Put it right with God. And you can know God by his power coming to you and saying to you, as he said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And you remember Lazarus got out of the grave. He still had the bandages on him. And the bandages were taken off of him. 
and Lazarus was living. This no less a miracle when you were born again of the Spirit. He basically said to you, Allah, Allah, come forth from your death. Allah, hear my word, come forth. And Allah came out from the grave. It's a greater miracle. It's a greater miracle when somebody is born again of the Spirit of God, more so than even if they're raised from the dead, literally, because we are so dead in our trespasses and sins. To turn the heart of a person who's naturally wicked around, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. No wonder Paul's praying. He's not saying, this is what you've got to need to... He prays that God would do the work, does he not? Well, dear friends, if God, by this power, is towards you because you believe and you've been raised up and seated with Christ in heavenly places, you are in that place and upheld in the heavenly places simply by the power of God, not by your own efforts. Now look what Ephesians 3 says. For this reason I bow my knee, verse 14, to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to bow sometimes. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the Spirit in the inner man. Now we mentioned these verses. We mentioned this matter of fullness earlier. We mentioned this matter of comprehending, of being grounded, of being rooted. It's all by means of the power of God. And Paul's praying that they would know this by experience. But notice verse 20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. That means the quality of the power that works in you is greater than what you could even think or ask God for in relation to it. The power of God at work in you. Oh, what a mystery. What a glory. That means there's no situation you're going through because every anxiety or trouble or confusion or difficulty or blockage you have is in relation to your thoughts. And this is saying that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. So is your situation in relation to the power of God. It's small in relation to him. I'm not diminishing what you're going through, but I'm saying in the light of God's power, he's able to deal with it. Well, we must move on. 2 Corinthians, please, chapter 12. Taking up more of your time this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, forgive me, and verse 9. Now, concerning our Christian life, I want to tell you, the power of God is toward you. Everything that God's going to command of you in the days ahead, and everything he's going to bring you into, no matter how difficult and frustrating and awkward and hard it may be, the power of God will be sufficient. Now look at chapter 12 and verse 9. Let's read from verse 7. Then lest I should be exhorted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exhorted above measure. Oh, wow. Be careful not to exalt yourself. You'll find a bit of buffeting coming your way. 
in all the mercy of God I say it. Verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, the grace of God is given to you. Now God's grace is not, as we mentioned yesterday, only, and I don't mean only in the sense of smallness, but in addition to the meaning of God's unmerited favour, it also speaks of God's strength. If the Lord is allowing an infirmity in your life, he will give the power for you to endure that, in, that infirmity for as long as you need his power in relation to it. And he will bring you out at just the right time. And he will not allow it to go on beyond measure, but he will do a work in you that otherwise would not have been wrought. And you'll find, dear friends, actually, that the greatest treasures are found often in the hardest places. And fruit is made in the valley. And you'll find in your experience that if you allow the Lord to take you through some suffering with him in this time, and you come out with the lessons learnt, there will be something wrought in you that won't only be for this day, but for all eternity. It would have been worth it. You'll never regret what you have to go through with Jesus. Never. Our only regrets are disobeying his word. Moving on, Colossians chapter 1. We're in our last hundred meters now. So I'm going to try and finish well. Colossians 1 verse 29. To this, uh, let's read from verse 28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labour, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Mightily. There we are. Power of God. Paul says he labours and he's striving. Now when you think of striving, it tends to give a negative effect, doesn't it, upon your thinking. You sort of think, oh, I, don't, I don't agree with striving spiritually. But Paul's not saying, I'm striving according to my flesh. He's saying, I'm striving according to the power that's working in me. And actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10, a verse I mentioned yesterday evening, we read, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I laboured, there's the similar word, more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. You see, he's talking about the grace as though it's the power, the enabling, the strengthening of God. And for whatever work God has for you, however heavy the load may appear to you, the truth is God's grace is with you in it. And his power will you enable you to endure it as long as necessary, according to the will of God and his purposes in your life. So friends, when it comes to the matter of the work of God in your life, work according to his power. Don't get out of his will. Don't try and do your own thing. Don't get independent on God and think that you can do the will of God in your own strength. God, I may shock you by saying this, but God is not looking for those who will work for him. 
Essentially, he's not so much looking for those who will work for him. He is looking for those who he can work through. Now that requires a greater deal of brokenness, you see, because if the Lord does the work through you, that means you have to be submitted to him. But if you work for the Lord, it means you can do things your way, but of course it's to the Lord's glory. Oh friends, the Lord's not interested in our lavish sacrifices, he's interested in our obedience. And whenever the Lord commands you of something, he'll give you the grace and the power to accomplish what he requires. Nothing more, nothing less. Just what he requires. Well, friends, what about to finish off? Let us remember that this treasure is in earthen vessels. That the power, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of God. So let's not seek to strive according to any other power than the power of the Spirit of God. Because otherwise it won't bring glory to God, even if we seem to be well-meaning in our doings. Only that which he gives us to do will give us power. And when we function in the power of God, it will bring glory to God. Right, 1 Peter 1 verse 5. Hang in there. Look at this verse with me. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power, by the dunamis power of God kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We always think of salvation as something that has come past. No, dear friends, salvation is past, present and future. We have been saved, we're being saved and we will be saved is what the scriptures talk about. Remember we mentioned that in terms of redemption yesterday. We've been redeemed but we will, will be redeemed. Okay, final verse. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And this is the last. You're kept by his power if you're born of his spirit. For the power that is towards you is the power that was towards Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Thank God. Well, chapter 1 of 2 Peter Let's read from verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Now this is what we've been talking about. In the knowledge of God. Grace be multiplied unto you. You see, you need the grace of God. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Our brother mentioned about the promise of God this morning. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then he goes on to talk about the various things that we need to add to our faith. But you see, it's all by means of the power of God. He keeps us. He preserves us. He strengthens us for his service. May it be, brothers and sisters, that you and I have a revelation by the Spirit of the power that's towards us, lest we faint under the strain of what we feel we have to face. Remember, the weight of what you have to face is possible to handle by means of the power of God's Spirit. All you need to do is lay hold on Him. By faith, God's power, He will get us through. He will enable us to stand, to overcome, and it will all be to the praise of His glory. Friends, let's end with a word of prayer, shall we? Be quiet before the Lord. I want to challenge some of you as we pray. Perhaps one or two of you, you know. Listen, can you hear this? You know in your heart that God has a controversy with the way you are living. You want to live your life your way rather than God's. You are resisting his wooing. Don't do it. Turn while you have opportunity. While God gives you grace, turn. Be born again of the Spirit of God. Friends, some of us, we have been born again. But we haven't been living in the reality of the power that is towards us. We've been doing our own things. We've become like Martha's. Wanting to do the right things. Having a good desire to serve. But it's all us. The Lord will give you the power to lay down what you need to lay down. And he will give you the power to take in your hand what you need to take in your hand. Bring your confession to him. And then I suggest, dear friends, that by the grace of God, we learn to walk in his glorious liberty. For his commandments are not burdensome. And he gives of his spirit for whatever we need to do.
whatever we need to lay down or take up or moving or move out of his spirit is toward us God's power